0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for The Doctor Is In.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. Learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. To be a great product manager, do you also need to be a great actor? Well, not really, but there are lessons from acting that will make you a better product manager. While I have no acting experience myself, not even from school plays, I've talked with several actors who became business coaches. It was not an obvious career path you know, that made any sense to me until I learned from each of them how their acting skills transfer to skills others needed off the stage. They apply practices from acting to help business professionals and leaders. So when I saw an article in Mind the Product titled, Oh, the Drama! What Product Managers Can Learn from Actors, I eagerly read it. The author, Alison Kemp, shared seven areas where acting techniques can help product managers, which she called thinking on your feet, high-performance teams, creative thinking and innovation, active listening, pausing, Storytelling and identity. I asked Allison to join us to discuss some of these techniques. It proved to be a fun and insightful discussion with important tips for product managers and innovators. Allison is the founder of Switch Vision, which helps clients become more effective communicators, presenters, and interviewers by applying techniques from business, theater, and psychology. You'll find the summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com/187. This is a fun and valuable discussion. I know you're going to enjoy. Allison, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators.
2: You are most welcome, Chad. It's great to be speaking to you right now.
1: I am delighted to be talking. So, you wrote an article recently for Remind the Product about how we can leverage some acting techniques to make us better product managers. And I saw this. I love what and the Product and the Product Tank folks do. And wanted to reach out to you and talk through these. Um, first, I'm curious just about the background here. You're, you're, interestingly enough, not the first actor, actress, person I have had on this uh, podcast. There's been a few who have leveraged their acting work to more of a professional business setting. So, I'm curious. How dare they? Oh, How some, dare they? someone else How had this idea. <laughs> I'm curious, your path, how how did that work out for you about saying, hey, I love acting, what I've learned there, how can I apply that to what's going on in the business world?
2: Well, like most things, uh, creative and rewarding, it happened by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, So I left Guildhall School of Music and Drama, I acted, and in between acting jobs, I refused to spend my time in an office temping, so I set up a drama school. Hmm. I had no capital. So I handed out leaflets in local schools, and I started with, there were 15 kids in a scout hut, and then it was 200 um, children, and then the adults could see that the children were growing in confidence and communication skills. So I opened up two centres. And to cut a long story short, after many, many acting jobs, plus running the school, I then decided, oh, I'd like a change. So these were the days before the internet. So I was I put an advert in the local newspaper and I sold my business. <laughs> so that's how that happened. Then went to <laughs> Turkey. That was a change. <laughs> yeah. And then it was a big change. Yeah, going to Turkey was a massive change. And then in Turkey I was acting, I was working in TV. And I was also training business people in presentation skills, Mm. which was something that I had been doing with adults as well in business beforehand when I had the drama school. So that was a continuation. Okay. My so yeah and after that my, my last job was running the Eurovision Song Contest. Not running it, actually <laughs> I won't take the whole the whole credit. Actually I wrote I, I directed the presenters and wrote the script for the presenters in Istanbul for the Eurovision Song Contest. And then I think then I left immediately afterwards. But the two incidents were not related. <laughs> I would like to say that. They were not related. I wasn't running away. To save my reputation. Um, Then got back to London and then just basically immersed myself in a lot of training. And the training expanded from presentation to communication skills and innovation, creativity. And much of that was fed by the improv that I had been and am doing. Hmm. So it was a sort of culmination of skills. That came together really nicely. And then, I, of course, I, I have these two, at least two currents of work going on at any one time. So mm-hmm. I could be training, and I'm also doing improv, and as we spoke earlier, sketch writing and performing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all going on, and it all feeds.
1: It all feeds. right. This was a new experience for me last year. I think I may have talked about this once or twice on the podcast. I took my first improv class. It was just a a half day thing, right? But that was huge for me having no acting background and, and frankly, not being all that comfortable in my skin in this context of I have to pretend to be something else. I had no idea what to really expect from an improv class. It was my personal development activity at that point to just kind of get comfortable stretching outside my normal boundaries a little bit, right? Uh And I found the play, the interaction spontaneously with the other people involved, whether, you know, what kind of storyline you're pursuing, whatever type of game you're doing at the time, to be really refreshing and to be kind of freeing in a sense and generating a little bit more creativity, leanings maybe, creative ability. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure this will come up a little bit as we talk through your techniques, how improv fits in to professional life, especially for product managers.
2: Yeah. But you see, you mentioned the personal development for you, mm-hmm. your relationship with other people, and how there's a sort of creative flow that goes on at the same time. And nothing happens in a vacuum. Right. Um, and what, what you've got with improv is you've got so many different outcomes depending on how you channel it, which is why it's such a wonderful thing to do.
1: I need to add it back to my list, don't I? (laughs) And get to another class.
2: Well, I, I, would encourage it.
1: Let's dive into these seven acting techniques to help Mm -hmm. us as product managers, And I'm just going to talk through the ones you have in the articles. The first one you talked about was this topic, improvisation for thinking on your feet. Tell us more about that.
2: Right. Well, life as we know, it does not go along a script. So thinking on your feet is a life skill, is a basic life skill. So let's take a situation that many people would have found themselves in where they need to give An impromptu speech, just say at a birthday party, speech, Mm. speech, speech. And then you sit there and you're like, oh my God, I haven't prepared anything. And the words, it's trusting that the words will come, that there is a flow and there is a confidence there underneath the adrenaline, and that you will be able to find the words to be able to express yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's in a social situation. But then there are presentations. So what I always discourage people from doing is scripting a presentation, because then what you do is you get very nervous about remembering a script instead of thinking about how you need to be interacting to the audience and to the environment. So there's a sense of spontaneity Mm -hmm. and thinking on the hoof. Also, in situations where you might be at a loss for words, so... How do you, in a conversation, in a feedback, in appraisals, actually deal with the silence? And sometimes actually part of thinking in your, on your feet is to be in the silence, hmm. which we'll talk about later. Okay. So that in itself can be very powerful. I mean, we talk about that a lot in improv. Um, which is the power of silence and in, in acting as an acting skill, silence is extremely powerful and it's not empty. There's so much that we it, it, radiate even through the silence.
1: Right. But the dramatic pause and, and a well, well done script maybe. Uh, yes, for acting.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there so, certainly
1: is this need to think on our feet a lot, especially in meetings where, you know, we, oh. we don't know what's going to be shared. We don't know what people's responses are going to be like and being able to in a, some way, right, play off of them to keep the conversation going the direction that we want it to be going.
2: That's, yeah, that is so right. Because we, we get, you know, you're going to be thrown something completely out the blue, mm-hmm. as we always are. Well, are like, I don't know why they said that. Why did they say that? Where did that come from? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's life, isn't it? And so, there's this great exercise in improv, very very simple one where it's called gift giving, and okay. you have an invisible box in front of you. You put your hands in the invisible box, you pull out a gift, and you you give it to your partner. Do you recognize this, Chad? Yes, yeah, so I am
1: doing- I'm, I'm pulling out a white bunny because that just seems like something I should pull out of a box. So <laughs> yeah. here, here's a white bunny for you, Allison.
2: Oh, <laughs> Chad! It's- So cute! Oh God, it's just shut on me. Oh no! Yeah, don't worry. It's okay. It's fine. I I love rabbits. I'll just deal with it. So okay. (laughs) So I've I've dealt with your rabbit. Okay. Now the thing is, if I can deal with that, then you do you. What you would do is you would increase the the situation so you could you could start with a rabbit and then you would give me a horse and then and whatever Mm -hmm. but then in a conversation you use the same sense of accepting what the other person has said before you react
1: this is probably too deep of a conversation to have for the time we have but i'll try teeing up briefly isn't there a sense of of this notion of play, like, you know, in the improv, it's clearly that you're playing, right? You're, you're having fun, hopefully, yeah. right? Bouncing ideas off each other in a sense as you build the story together. And But when we're in a meeting, I think we can look at that as having, also there's a sense of play that, you know, we're moving towards some objective together, but in the big scheme of things, it's all kind of play, right? We're just trying to figure out how to get the pieces fit together of this puzzle and get to where we want to go.
2: Yeah, and and sometimes that's more to do with watching the the watching the subtext, and I use watching the subtext hmm. as opposed to just listening, because it's about finding somebody's point of view, what's underneath, because mm-hmm. people react to things, but they don't necessarily tell you why. Right. So it's um, in improv, uh, there is a core tool called the game. Now, the game is, is very much related to people's point of view. So you have a specific point of view, and my job is to find out why you say that so I can get to your point of view. Hmm. So I need to show curiosity. So why do you believe that, Chad? Why, on what basis are you talking? Because mm-hmm. we tend to talk like, oh, this always happens. I'm not doing this because this always fails. Chad, tell me why you believe that. Right. So I want to find out your story, your experience, and your point of view. What, why you feel something? Why you believing it? Why you're thinking something? Mm-hmm. To actually understand what the game is. So that would be directly lifted from improv, and that's an exercise that you do in improv. But then you carry it through into managing difficult conversations, and you're teaching people to. Buy time, number one, and show curiosity, mm-hmm. number two. And that could just be physically showing cu- curiosity by being open. Right.
1: And it sounds like the objective there is to better understand the person's position, where they're coming yeah. from, yeah, so that we can better communicate and try to move forward and not just get stuck.
2: Exactly. That's ex- Yeah, that's exactly what you're trying to do because underneath there's 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 a subtext there's a story people yep. seem to come out with something out, which is out of the blue but it's not it's based on their experience and on their perception and it's very true for them and it might be when they share the story you realize actually this is very much I can understand exactly where they're coming from right but it's it's about not not Reacting, but there's actually a friend of mine said this to me at a rehearsal last night. He said it's about responding, not reacting. Hmm. I mean, it's a small semantic difference that made a big difference to him. Right. Um, and with with responding, it's very much to do with it a silence can be a response. Yeah. Opening up your body language could be a response.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of things I want to dive into there. The uh, watch the response in this uh, responding versus reacting thing. First, Allison, if it's okay with you, I want us to have permission with each other that if we don't make it through all your seven tools and we kind of go where our conversation takes us, that that would be all right. And listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes for the article and mind, the product, so they can see them all laid out. But I think you and I are going to have a better discussion if we just go kind of where this goes, like what you were just talking about, was is that okay? Do you know
2: what, Chad? Yes, you are just so improv.
1: <laughs> we'll run with it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that as yes. So
2: yes,
0: we'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com board slash master. Your one place to become a product master. Theeverydayinnovator.com board slash master. Don't wait. Get started now.
1: You said watching the response. So let me ask you about that first. This is just body language, right? Some people seem to be kind of closed off. They're hard to read. And because they're hard to read, people have trouble connecting with them right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be hard to read like that. But you said that, the, you know, watching the response, talk about body language in terms of making this listening, this communication work better.
2: All oh, right. So the interesting thing is when people um, are closed, there's all sorts of reasons for closed body language. And it's not necessarily that they're cutting themselves off from you. Because body language works in context and it also works in clusters. So, for example, I can cross my arms, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean I'm not interested. It could be, number one, I'm comfortable. But if I'm leaning forward and I'm going, tell me more. So you could see that I'm interested. So Mm -hmm. the crossing of the arms doesn't have the same meaning as if I sat back with a sneer on my face, for example. So that's the first thing to remember is that we have to look at body language in context. The second thing is that with body language, when somebody is closed, it could be that they are very much crawling into their cave, their physical cave. And what they're doing is they're mulling on what is being said. So they're mm. listening and they're mulling. Mm-hmm. So they're chewing the cud. They've, cr- they've gone into their cave That's right. in front of you. But That's what an an introvert would do. I was just
1: going to say that. That seems to be the the introvert reaction because we're we're being thoughtful. We're considering what is being said instead of some of those crazy extroverts that just jump in and keep talking.
2: Now, I have (laughs) two friends, two Australian friends, Renya and Sally, and they are polar opposites. Hmm. One is extremely extrovert. One is extremely introvert. Um, Renya has very closed body language. Sally has very, so open, it's out of control. I mean, okay, for for listeners right now, Chad has just done a star shape, which is Sally. That is Sally, indeed. Very open. That's so open that she sent forks flying in my direction while speaking and not (laughs) even realized it whilst we were in a patisserie. Because that's just the way Sally is. She's like an octopus on speed. (laughs) So Renya and Sally. Now, the thing is, Renya used to retreat in front of Sally because Sally would go, I don't know why you're so closed. Open up. And then she would try and get from Renya the kind of behavior that she wanted (laughs) now.
1: (laughs) And poor Renya is going to close up more as she tries to think about this and is being defensive.
2: Exactly. So she crawls into a shell. And I said to Sally, if you really want Renya to open up, you've got to match her, which is completely counterintuitive. Mm. So you've got to follow her lead. So Renya is closed. Sally, you be closed. And what happens is as you listen, as you use paraphrasing, pausing, you, you indicate active listening what actually happens is the person feels that you understand them, you build up trust, mm-hmm. you're building up eye contact, etc, all these elements that that create a connection between two people. Now, when the other person is ready to follow you, you will know so for example, Sally can do a move, so she does a move that is not following Renya; she initiates a move. if Renya then follows Sally. She's got buy-in. Now, how is this relevant for product managers? So I don't know if you're going to commit to my project, Chad. I've no idea. So I'm going to tell you this wonderful story about my project, how I see it. I'm going to talk about the vision and, even more important, about how you will make this work as part of our team. I'm only selecting a few people. You, with your experience and, and savvy, I want you on my team. OK, all right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be following you because I'm basically the salesperson. It doesn't really matter what job you're in. You are selling something. So right. product managers are always selling something like all of us. So what I'm going to do is I know when you're going to commit, when it, when it's ready to when I'm ready to get you to close. If I initiate a movement and you follow, I can say, when do you want to start, Chad?
1: And then, you know, I'm in. Okay. Uh-huh. And So this could be, you know, and maybe we're not being standoffish, but it's just comfortable to have our arms closed, let's say. So, you know, and so you mirror that as the salesperson that's trying to, to persuade me towards a, a point of action to take. And at some point, you drop an arm down and just kind of casually, and if I was to match that, seeming like I would open up a little bit, then that would be the, the indication you're talking about. Is that a fair example or not?
2: That's a that's a really good example. Now I'm pleased that you actually went into smaller gestures, like because if I if you drop an arm down and then I drop an arm down and then you lean your le- head to the left and I lean my head to my right, so we match each other, you'll actually think I'm a freak. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> is that, why the hell is she copying me? So what I'd like, okay, when we talk about matching, think about. General patterns, so if you're very open, I'll be very open if you're very mm. um, close, maybe you've got your legs crossed, I might cross my arms mm. that's what they call crossover matching where another right. part of the body echoes the match, so okay. it could be whilst you're nodding, I'm perhaps tapping my hand, my finger on my hand mm. so there's there's a, an echo of the movement somewhere else in the listener's body okay. And it's really odd because that plus eye contact can build trust. And it has been known that we have a part of our brain, which has these mirror neurons, which you may have heard of called oscillators. And you'll see that when people have a connection, when they've put them through MRI scan, or what they do is they put these um, sort of tags on their, on their brain, they've realized That the same part of two people's brains, when there is a connection, will completely match with this set of neurons. Hmm. They rearrange themselves and they match, which is why when there's a really strong rapport in a group of people. So if you watch people um, all telling a joke, so somebody tells a joke, everybody else will lean back at the same time and laugh at the punchline.
1: Hmm. They're all in oh. sync and some
2: They're all in sense. sync. You, exactly. And you can see this so closely in restaurants. So I'm terrible to go out for a meal with because I'm just watching other people <laughs> at the
1: point. But these are important techniques to be aware of to help build that connection, to help build rapport, establish trust. And product managers... We need that. We, we need our network inside the organization to help us get things done and build products for, that customers actually love.
2: And I'm, so I'm just going to mm-hmm. add to this. This also works in emails and hmm. on the telephone. So it works with language. So, so do, you have
1: an, do you have an example? Uh, there's one I'm thinking yeah. of, but I don't know if it would fit or not. Want well, me to share mine?
2: Okay. Go on. Okay. It so, to me, so you
1: can evaluate this. So yeah, uh, So someone I used to work with, VP of sales, great guy, get his e- emails he would send always had the starting subject at the top, not, not in the subject line, but, but in, uh-huh. you know, hi, Chad, this message is about boom and three bullet points and then whatever action he wanted me to take, right? Some, some question or something. He despised emails that rambled <laughs> and didn't get to the thing, right? Yeah. So I quickly learned like, oh, he sent me an email with bullet points. I better send him an email back with bullet points. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to match how he seemed to communicate by email.
0: Yep, that's a
2: really good example, bullet points. Now, the only thing is if you're sending an email to a whole group of people, and some of them really love the detail, and other people just say, tell me what to do right. and then give me the rationale for doing it, which is what you should do in an email to do it the reverse of how you would right. do in the presentation because people don't have time. They don't, they read, don't emails. read No, exactly. <laughs> so tell people what you want to do at the top and then it's like an inverse pyramid. Then you tell them why. Right. So, but for those people who do want the detail, I'll attach it. I'll send it as an attachment. So hmm. that way I can have a compromise, but also hmm. So if people write extremely succinct emails, I will write more succinct emails back. If they want more information or I see that they're into a discussion, I might do a little bit more of that. But it's it's more also about the language, how casual, how formal it is, Uh how they sign off as well. Uh So all of these, and also the time that you send, but there's also times when not to match. So if you're always getting messages, from somebody at 12 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning, and you reply at 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, you are giving people permission to carry on with that. But if you don't, if you mismatch that, then you are setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it's not always a good thing to match.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Back to the respond versus react comment from your, your friend. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting because a lot of time when we're having that conversation, maybe we're in the meeting, it's one on one, and we're listening to the person. We're not really actively listening to them. We're we're thinking in our head about our script that we're going to respond to. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're talking, and I'm not really listening. I'm I'm just coming up with what I'm going to say next. Which, in a sense, is to me kind of reacting versus responding. Reacting. My connotation of that seems as I'm talking through this now is. In some sense, prejudging or judging what was said, and I am reacting in a way that probably conveys some of that judgment information, like, how could you possibly be thinking about that idea? We should never try that. And that's probably coming through my body language some, as opposed to being curious and just responding. I don't know if that's how your friend meant that or not, but the point when you said that to me was earlier was, I think it's really important to be curious. And respond more blankly as opposed to having a preconceived decision already made.
2: And that's hard, actually, because we all do come with a set of preconceived ideas. Mm-hmm. There, there is, a, there is a bias. We have this bias, these unconscious biases. To make them conscious is, is the first thing. And then to challenge yourself just to shelve them. Just think, okay, I'm not going to get rid of it, but I'm going to get curious. Mm-hmm. So except the fact that I've got a bias. You know, I have these these con- preconceptions about this person or about this situation. That's fine. You don't want to have to fight that off because that's that's doing double the work. Just park it to the side and mm. then get curious. So, for example, I've been uh, – when I, when I work for Cass Business School or Kent University and I, I'm on the MBA courses there, so I go in as a guest lecturer there and I work with – companies like Kaspersky, for example, global companies. Mm-hmm. And we do we do a lot of, of this kind of work where we're talking about managing difficult conversations. And how firstly it is about being aware that it isn't you do have ideas, you do have certain things, you're not going to get rid of them, park them, then move on with curiosity mm-hmm. and buy yourself time with questions. So it goes back a little bit to what I was saying before, I get curious about somebody's point of view, because it's based on a story. And the stories that we tell ourselves, we then convey to other people, and they become our decisions. So you need to find out what the story is behind that decision.
1: And the story you want to end up with, I think it's helpful to know where you're heading, what decision you want made, and act as if that's going to happen.
2: Well, yes. That, so there's there's two things there, which is how to tell a story and then visualize it so you believe it because confidence is is everything.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. There's so much more we could talk about. I, I will put in the show notes your article that shares these seven acting techniques. Mm. We covered uh, aspects here and there. I think of most of them, but not quite all. And we did not go into some of the detail on, on ones we, we very briefly hit. So I want to point people to that. So please look for that in the show notes. And as listeners know, I love a good quote, uh, especially a a quote related to innovation. So can you share what you have for us and also why you chose that one?
2: To Begin, Begin by William Wordsworth. Why do I love it? Because it's short and I can remember it. No, to be honest. Well, yes, actually, that is rather a selling point.
1: But also... (laughs) If we're we're being honest, it's quite good.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But also because you're never ready. You're never going to be ready for that opportunity. You're never going to be ready to create that product. You're never going to be fully ready. Accept it and do it anyway.
1: Right. Yeah. Just to begin. Taking action is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes pe- people want to get credit for coming up with the idea. It, in reality, ideas are generally pretty easy and not worth a lot until someone does the hard work to make it a reality.
2: Yes, and and that means you need that carl sagan said if you don't how you won't find your pack so mm. you need to find your tribe because nothing happens by yourself by itself you know it's a it, it, creativity was it, it was steve jobs said creativity is about connecting things and that also means people because one and one doesn't make two in this case one and one makes whoa so much more right
1: yeah and that's the nature of innovation it's Working with others who think differently than we do and bringing a in new insight. Yeah. And, and we got three quotes that are out of you to begin. Begin. Yeah. You shared the Carl Sagan one and a Steve Jobs one. Well,
2: there we are. That's I extra began. value. <laughs> <laughs> I began and then I just could not stop. So there we are. I'm living the quote.
1: <laughs> Allison, it is a pleasure. You're quite good at this. We have not met before, but you do a good job of. Bridging the play and fun with the practical, what we need to be doing to just be more productive in our business associations as well as life associations. I appreciate your insights and experience with this. Thank you. How can people find out about the work that you're doing and if they want to follow up with you and uh, and work with you on something?
2: Great. The easiest way is probably by email, Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, 1L. Uh, Alison at Switch Vision. Switch is in light switch, vision is in seeing. Switchvision.co.uk. Um, don't be put off by the UK if you're across the pond. I travel, <laughs> I'm mobile. And also my website, that's Switch Vision, www.switchvision.co.uk. And you can download my book, Techie Talks, huh. which is basically about presentation or technical experts and I think we're on to 40,000 downloads from the last count so if you go on to the profile so about Alison Kemp at the top then you will be able to download a copy of the book which is nearly as good as having me in front of you showing you how to do this. Also, you can get me on Switch Vision on Twitter. Okay. And there's loads of ideas on the blog and creativity, influence, persuasion, body language, and a whole raft of other subjects, which I'm sure product managers would love. And they're entertaining, easy to read, and practical.
1: I can't imagine that you would make something not entertaining.
2: Well, thank you, Chad. <laughs>
1: Wonderful information, and I will make it easy for listeners to find that book, too, uh, on Tech Talks. So just check out the show notes for this episode, and you'll see links to everything there. Allison, thanks for your time. Thanks for originally writing that article and Mind the Product and then talking to us about some other aspects of it.
2: You're most welcome. It's been a joy, chat.
1: Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products customers love. Find the summary of the discussion with Allison at the com slash one eight seven. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at the com.